think uh, Brandon forgot to announce that we're going to make our own Grace Hills video on belly flopping on a pool. And if you'd like to be involved in that, you can just contact Brandon and we'll set you up and we'll uh, see, make some highlights for that. A couple other things I want to let you know. This is a full summer of ministry and next, uh, next week is our vacation Bible school. And there are cards like this on the back table. We're going to be uh, uh, sharing uh, distribution of these cards throughout our local communities. We want you to take these home and invite children and grandchildren to, to come next week uh, as we highlight uh, Sunlight Express. We're going to have a train up here. It's going to be some amazing uh, things happen for the children. And uh, again, we encourage you just to be praying for Vacation Bible School next week. Um, and uh, be looking for opportunities to invite people to come. Also, there are some verse cards in the back. Uh, we try to emphasize a verse for the month, and this, uh, this month we're going to be emphasizing a great passage in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a reward of those uh, who seek him, diligently seek him. Before we look in God's word this morning, let's look to him in prayer as uh, we prepare our hearts for what God has for us. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your goodness, uh, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for the, the challenge and call for us to trust you, to put our confidence in you, uh, to, uh, to apply um, um, our heart to you by faith, and Father, you have promised that you would reward us according to our faith. Now, Father, we praise, we look in your word that you might speak into our lives, that we might uh, just understand more faithfully uh, and, and fervently uh, your plan for our lives, and might we live it out, and we praise in Christ's name, amen. Uh, this is a full day in many ways. We're going to be remembering the Lord in baptism. I mean, on baptism and communion at the end of the message. And, and this, if you've never been here at Grace Hills Church during our communion time in the first service, it's a self-service opportunity as God prompts you in your heart as our worship team comes up. We invite you to come up to the elements and take of the bread and the cup and remember what the Lord has done for us. Uh, Paul put it this way in, in 1 Corinthians, that I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There is no more significant event in all of human history than that point in which God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose again to, to give proof that He was all He claimed to be. And it gives you opportunity to remember Him in that way. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 5. We'll be uh, taking off on this particular portion of God's Word. We're in the, a series in the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis really is all about beginnings. And as you think about beginnings, uh, everything has to start with that first step, doesn't it? Uh, I had an opportunity this, uh, this weekend to see uh, my third child uh, make that step into uh, the marriage relationship. And so they're, they're beginning their married life uh, today. And as they consummated it and made that commitment last, last night. But as we think about everything in, in life has its start. And as we look at uh, Genesis, it really announces that to us. In the very first chapter, we know that the universe began at a point in time when God brought it into existence. And a very familiar verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we see the beginning of the universe in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, and in fact, any one of these chapters, we could highlight a variety of things. But in, in Genesis chapter 2, we have the beginning of marriage as God looked at Adam, and he says, Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he brings Eve into his life, and he, and he institutes marriage. And that's why we look at, at God's word as the definitive word about what, what marriage is all about. And so in chapter 1, we have the beginning of the universe. In chapter 2, we have the beginning of, 
uh, marriage, the family. Uh, but then in Genesis chapter 3, we've had good news and now we get bad news. It's the beginning of sin. God gave us an opportunity to love him, to respond to his goodness, to his faithfulness to us, providing everything that we need. And, and we chose to go not his way, but our way. And so we had the beginning of sin in chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 4, uh, if Genesis chapter 3 is our sin against God, in Genesis chapter 4, we're beginning the, 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 the trek that we have run down. It's not necessarily this is just our sin against God, but it's man's sin against man. And, and you see the conflict within even the, own, the home between Cain and Abel, and you have uh, the first murder uh, ever recorded in terms of human history because uh, our sin against God will, will lead to sins against others as well. Well, in Genesis chapter 5, what we're going to look at today, what we have here is, is the beginning of the reality of what happens when we rebel against God. And, and really what we see demonstrated very clearly is that we have the reality of both death and life. And really this morning, I have a very simple thing I want to share with you, is that is, is we see the plan and the course of history unfolded in, in the book of Genesis. We see that, that man brought death, and God offers life. And the reality that begins to set in. And it's hard for us to imagine, but when, when God brought life into existence, when he birthed the universe, everything was good and very good. And, and then things, when we rebelled against God, went downhill, not uphill. And, and at first, I'm sure they, they began to wonder, is this, is this really going to happen? In Genesis chapter 4, we see, we see overt re, rebelling against God when one life takes the life of another. But are there going to be natural consequences of things happening in our lives? And sometimes when things go wrong, we, we, we do look around to see who to blame. You know, did I do something wrong or did somebody else do something that made this happen? Or is this just life? And if you haven't learned this already, life happens. This is the natural course of events will bring challenge, sometimes heartache and suffering and immense pain into your life. And we should not be surprised about it. And sometimes believers struggle with that more than anything else because you, you, you come to know God in a personal way and you, you experience God's goodness and you think everything's going to be good from then on. But life happens. There's the reality of death. And then we need to very simply remember that there is one who offers life. And we need to turn to him in the midst of the death and suffering around us. So if you have your, your Bibles, look at Genesis chapter 5. And, and the first simple illustration of this is going to be seen in this chapter. In fact, many people call this the graveyard of Genesis as God announces to us the reality of life happens. Uh, beginning with Genesis chapter 5 verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made man in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son, his own likeness. This is after he had had Cain and Abel, and after his image, and named him Seth. Just kind of a devotional thought here for a moment. It's interesting, when, when God created um, Adam and Eve. He created them in his image. It's interesting as, as Seth is brought into this world, it, it speaks kind of maybe by inference, but maybe by um, emphasis, is that Seth was made now in 
Adam's likeness. Now, he still had the image of God uh, on his life as well, but now he was also created in the image of a man. And as we think about that, we need to recognize that that's the struggle we go through, is that we, we, uh, we partake a lot of what uh, has happened before. And, and often as I think about my children, you know, I, I, I see the good things in their lives and then I see the things that they struggle with. And often as I look back, why, why are they that way? And I look at myself. I, I left a note. They had a place on the table for the wedding uh, after it was over. You could leave notes uh, to uh, Mark and Lori, you know, after their first year of marriage, their second year of marriage, and their third year of marriage. And one of the things I, I wrote to them, I said, particularly to Lori. So, Lori, when, when you really see the tenderness of, of Mark's heart, when you see him demonstrate kindness and love and care, I, I just want you at that moment, just turn to him and say, you know, you're just like your mom. And, and then when you get frustrated with him and you're irritated, he is, he's a little bit too sarcastic, maybe a little bit too competitive, maybe just being a little, little stubborn, then just turn to him and say, you know, you're just like your dad. <laughs> And, you know, and that's true, isn't it? We, we can see those things that, that we carry through to our children and the people we're around. And, and that happens. Life happens. Because sinful people beget sinful people. And, and so now Seth was also in the likeness, not only of God, but of Adam and Eve. Verse 4, after he begat Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years. And so as we look at that, we now have the 800 years plus the 130. Is It appears that Adam lived 930 years. And many people, when they look back at Genesis, they say, well, how can that be? Well, again, we need to remember that when God created this universe, it was, it was perfect. It was good and very good. And the results of sin, not only in people's human life, but in the created world, begins to deteriorate. But in the beginning, it was so good that people live extended life. And we'll kind of see that as we look at the flood in, in days to come. And, and then it goes on and says, and he had sons and daughters, so uh, life begins to multiply. But the thing I want to emphasize is, is particularly verse 5. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and then we have these, these three words, and he, what? Died. So we now see the, the natural consequences of, of living in this life. Not someone taking someone else's life, but just living in this world. There comes a point where you will, what? Die. And that's emphasized through this chapter. Look at um, Genesis chapter 5, verse 8. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he, what? Died. And then look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 11. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he, what, died. Look at the 14th verse. So all the days of Canaan, a different Canaan, were 910 years, and he, what, died. Moving on, Mahaliel, verse 17. So all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years, and he, what, died. Jared, look at verse 20. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Going down to verse 25, Methuselah, who we'll talk a little bit more about, Lord willing, next, next Lord's Day. The man who lived longer than anybody else, verse 27. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, 
and he what? Died. Now, these were just the natural consequences living now in a world that was damaged because of sin. And people lived extended periods of time, but there came a point where they all died. Now, as we think about that this morning, I think it's important for us just to look at what, what death is. Sometimes when we think of death, we, in fact, there's, there are those who uh, look at death and think, well, death is that point where at the end of your life, you now no longer cease to exist. And as we think about that, that, that is a, a worldview in which you believe there is no supreme being that brought you into existence, that somehow this happened all by chance, and when whatever chemical influences that get your, your, your physical machine continuing to function, once that stops, you as a person ceases to exist. That's not how the Bible presents death. Uh, There's basically three types of death recorded for us in Scripture. There there is what you would call spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death. Uh, Death in the Bible is not so much ceasing to exist. Uh, That really is is not true even in a a natural... uh, As we look at things, there is the law of uh, first and second law of thermodynamics, which you guys don't want me to go over it again, but basically, you don't lose things in this universe. It's self-contained. But what really it, what it is, is a separation. For instance, look at spiritual death. Spiritual death is a separation from God. And actually, everyone who comes into this world, they experience that immediately. You have, as you come into this world, you are spiritually dead now. Now, there's an option to remove that experience away from your, yourself, uh, but when you enter in this world, you are dead to God. You are separated from Him. Now, because of His great grace, He will do something about that if you respond to Him in faith. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So everyone who enters this world, they begin by being dead spiritually. They are not connected in life with God. There's a separation between our creator and that which he has created. We are dead to him. We are separated from him. We might know some things about him, but we do not know him relationally. We're not connected to him. And the Bible says every one of us enters into this world that way. Now, the other type of death, there's two more, is that which most people are familiar with, and that's physical death. Now, physical death is that which um, the vast majority and this people in this world have experienced. There's a couple of exceptions. Uh, but that's that point where there's a separation with thin man. And the separation between man is that of his spirit and his body. For, for instance, Jesus experienced that with one of his closest uh, friends and family that he knew really well. It's the, it's the family of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And he was asked to come because he was the miracle worker to come quick because they believed that if he could get there before he died, he could prevent him from dying. And so we have in John chapter 11, verse 17, we say, So when Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, had already been dead in the tomb, 
for four days. So they knew he was dead because they buried him. And, and Martha responds to this. He says, now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have what? Died. As we think about this planet and as we think about the people that we see, uh, we, we walk among people who are dying all the time. The only thing we don't know is when the last breath is going to be taken. And as we think about that, we need to recognize that we ought to, we ought to hold life so precious, we ought to value life so much, but there's going to come a point in time where people will die physically. And what that means is that they will be separated from that which is within from the earth suit that they're wearing. They will no longer function physically here on this earth. There is spiritual death, which we can't escape. There is physical death until the Lord returns. We cannot escape. But the thing that we need to be most concerned about is the third type of death described in the Bible, and that's eternal death. There's an interesting passage in Luke chapter 12 that most people really, or many people, I should say, really are confused with and don't necessarily get the right understanding of it. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, we have these verses. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now, often when people read this passage, depending upon if some of the words in that text are not capitalized, I'll ask them the question, well, who's this referring to that you ought to fear that might send people into hell? And their immediate response is the devil, Satan, the evil one. But that's not what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about the devil or Satan or the evil one who's going to send people to hell. He's talking about God himself. That God is the one that we ought to fear. That when we stand before him in judgment, that we are not prepared to go to the place that he has for those who know him and love him. Hey, of all the, all the things that we can be concerned about in this world, all the things that bring us fear, there is only one fear that we need to make sure that we've got settled and have an answer for. And that's the fear of what's going to happen after this life is over. There is a judgment day coming. And are we prepared for it? Oh, why should we be concerned about someone doing something to this body that now usually lives, if you die of natural causes, anywhere between the ages of 70 and, say, 100, okay? Well, why should we be concerned about that which is, in, in, the mit, in, the, in comparison to eternity, only lasts just a, a fleeting moment? When what we really need to settle is what happens when this life is over. I was reading an article just this past week in terms of being prepared for this life and how this needs to be settled. Before I show you that article I read, let's look at another couple of number of passages in the scripture. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. And this is in response to what Jesus said. He said, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There are two eternities that people are going to step into. One, in, the, in intimacy and relationship with God forever in that place we call heaven. The scripture talks about that. Or, or that place God has reserved for those who have rejected him. And both have eternality in relationship to it. There's been some debate about whether, whether there is a hell, if there is a hell, whether it's going to last forever. The thing is, you look at 
God's word. It's plain what it says. If you believe that life with God's going to last for eternity, then in that same passage, it actually uses the same Greek word. Then you have to believe that the punishment is going to last forever as well. Remember that Lord's Prayer says that we ought to pray that God's will be done, not our own, and that his kingdom should come. Basically, on, on this side of eternity, we all have a choice. Do we want God's way or our own way? At the end of this life, we will no longer have that choice. And God will simply say to us, you wanted your way, now have it. And forever you'll be separated from a God who has done everything for you. For eternity. Don't fear the, the things in this world that don't matter compared to this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, it says, Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. The first death is the physical death. The second death is the death that will last forever. Eternal death. Eternal separation. Not the ceasing of existence. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And see, the message of the scriptures is, is that we can't measure up to God's perfect righteous standard and we need someone to come on our behalf to pay the penalty that we can't pay on our own and, and that's why abel's sacrifice in genesis chapter 4 was a righteous sacrifice because it was it was a blood sacrifice it was the it was coming to god on his terms and, and why cain's sacrifice was not accepted because it was on his own terms and it was not a sacrifice of faith There's a new study that came out just recently, and, and it, it was interesting. It says, even on this, on this earth, uh, they've now discovered, it was kind of interesting, there is a good deterrent to crime, and it's based on how much one believes in hell. According to the Huffington Post, the study appeared in the Public Library of Science Journal, and, and it was found that criminal activity is lower in societies where people's religious beliefs contain a strong sense of there's a place where you might go to be punished. A country where many more people believe in heaven than hell, for example, is likely to have a much higher crime rate than one whose beliefs are about equal. Uh, the, survey was, the, the survey was done on 143,197 people in 67 countries. The key finding is that controlling for each other a, a nation's rate of belief in hell predicts lower crime rates. It's interesting they've done, series, they, they've done surveys in the United States and they've asked this question, how many believe in heaven? And I don't know, like 90% of the people say, I believe in heaven. How many believe in hell? It's a little bit lower than that. And you ask them, well, how many believe people are going to go, believe you're going to go to heaven? And they go, I, I think I'm going to heaven. What about your friends? I don't think they're going to get there. <laughs> you see, as we recognize there are consequences, eternal consequences for our actions. Then, then, then we'll understand, even from the very beginning, this is the book of beginnings, God gave us this graveyard. To recognize, even as people had extended life here on this earth, there came the point where they all died. And then judgment came. 
Some were prepared for that day of reckoning, and some were not. The challenge for us all is, is not fear what people can do to this body, but fear the one that we're going to face, either naked before him because we're only clothed in our own righteousness, or that we have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we take communion later on, this is either one of the most foolish things you ever do. Take a piece of bread and a cup and think it has any significance, or it points back to the only hope anyone can have to face an eternity with God rather than apart from Him. What did man do in terms of this this perfect world that he initially created? Is He brought death. Death happens. But the good news in the midst of this graveyard chapter is that that God brought life. If if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 5, and and we're just going to look at a very simple story. There's not a whole lot of detail here about a man who illustrates that God is a God who brings life. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Uh, really, on that, a couple of places in the, in the New Testament, it refers back to Enoch. We don't know a whole lot about him other than this singular truth particularly in this account, that Enoch was marked as a man who walked with God. And you could just simply take it. There are two options. There's two pathways to go in this world. We can walk the walk of men and walk the walk of death. Or we can walk the walk with God and experience life. And there's really only two, there are a couple of sources where we can look at how God uses this as a picture of his wanting to bring life. But it's our choice to go, which, which direction do we want to head? You know, as you look at the Bible, there's a, there's a, there, there are two examples of those who escaped physical death. One is here with Enoch, and, and the other was Elijah. Just real quickly, that story. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, we have Elijah, a prophet of God. And it came to pass, uh, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven, by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And then 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Eli just went up by a whirlwind into heaven. You know, God could be, you know, it's like Star Trek, you know, beam me up, Scotty. God, God could do that at any moment of our life. He only did that with two men recorded for us in Scripture. He did it with Enoch and he did it with Elijah. To picture to us that man brought death, but God brings life. I'm always amazed at the story. It's my favorite miracle of Jesus in the New Testament, John chapter 11. And we made reference to that where 
the reality of physical death. Lazarus was a, was a dear friend of, of, of Jesus. And when he, when he goes there and, and he sees the family and the friends uh, just in grief and sorrow as the loss of their, of their loved one, it, the favorite memory verse of all of us, it, it records us that Jesus, what? He wept. And then to demonstrate the power and might of, of God, he calls forth Lazarus out of the grave. I mean, how great a miracle is that to bring people back from death into life? Quite frankly, when I die, I don't want anybody being bring back to life, all right? And when I'm in heaven, don't bring me back, all right? I want to stay there. But he brings back Lazarus from death. But often when I share this passage in funeral service, I'll tell people, you know, as great as miracle that is, what did Jesus do? He just extended physical life a few more years. Because later on, Lazarus did what? He, he died. The only two people so far that have, have escaped death are Enoch and Elijah. God just took them up. And he took them up because they simply walked with him. There are going to be some people who escape life physically, or escape death here physically. And that's raptured believers. Look at the hope that we have to look forward. If we're around when Jesus returns again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 7. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. See, God, God can reinstitute this miracle on a mass scale because when Jesus comes, man brings death, but God brings what? Life. And really at the point when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, it's at that point that we have life that lasts forever. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me and hears my word has passed from death into life. Well, how do you get that? Well, it's, it's been the, the same from the very beginning. All must come by faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. But by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had his testimony that he pleased God. If somehow that became a description of someone on this planet that was known with all clarity that this is a person, this is a man, or this is a woman. It's marked by pleasing God. I would run to that person. What is it that you do that pleases God? I think, well, maybe, maybe they just do things no one, no one naturally does. Maybe their love is great. Maybe their service is great. Maybe their faithfulness is great maybe they're kinder and gentler i don't know what is it about it that that makes them so pleasing to god what what is it that that maybe i can learn from them that that pleases god well god hasn't left it a mystery because right after it it stamps enoch as a man who pleased god it tells us how we please god But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How do you please God? Trust him. Just put your confidence and believe in him. 
I think we've all seen either live or on, on tape or those experiences where you have the, the young child and you have the, have the father or the, or the mother maybe in the pool or the ocean and they're asking for that child to, to jump in for the very first time and, and trust that their parent, their father and mother will catch them and, and hold on to them and and as that child walks onto the edge of that diving board or wherever it might be, he's beginning to think and say, well, what's going to happen when I jump? Are they going to catch me? Will they protect me? Will they, you know, will they save me? And what's, what's the thing that will please that father and mother more than anything else? Simply at that moment that that child would what? Trust them. That would just trust them. That that they loved them so much they would do everything they could to, to provide for them and protect them and preserve their life. And, and that's not only in the crisis moments of our, our journey with God, but it's in everyday living. Do we trust Him? Do, do we trust His Word? Do we want to follow His path? Do we have so much confidence in Him that we, that we don't rely on our own understanding, but in all our ways we, we seek Him because we know He'll direct our path? See, there's only really two paths. There's a path of walking with men or walking with God. And the exhortation of God is, just trust me. Where does that begin? Now, let me just dissect Hebrews 11.6 real quickly. It means, first of all, to believe who God is. And without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. There are a number of you who have uh, experienced that, that traumatic uh, reality that someone has stolen your identity. You know, maybe they've taken your social security numbers, maybe they've taken some of your credit cards, whatever it might be, and they, they got you. And there are people out there thinking that you are, uh, they are, they are you, and they're giving people your money, your resources, whatever it might be, because somehow someone's stolen who you are. People do that all the time with God. They say, oh, I believe in God, and they... They tell you in the end, well, who, who is it about God you believe? And they, they tell you the wildest things about who they think God is. That doesn't mean anything just to believe in some abstract notion of some supreme being that's going to reincarnate you or make you some celestial God up in the heavens and you'll have spirit babies the rest of your life or whatever it might be. That, that's just nonsense. If you're going to please God, then you need to believe in Him. I mean, how, how traumatic would it be if my kids came out to be and and, uh, you know, I think they're coming up to me, and they, and they start calling somebody else their dad. <laughs> what? I'm your dad. No, no, no. That person over there is my dad. What? If we're, gonna, if we're really going to believe God, we've got to believe in who he is. And God has not left us in the dark. The Bible tells us that, that God manifests himself in so many ways, in so many, in so many different ways throughout history. But then he sent us his son so that we might know very clearly who God is. And that's why Jesus could say with all boldness and clarity, I am the way, the truth, the light. No one comes to the Father but through me. We must believe in who God is, the true God. But secondly, we need not only believe in who he is, we've got to believe in what he does. Because it goes on in this verse, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's not just, okay, I believe God exists, but do I believe in such a way that I believe that he's going to do something so desperately that I need done in my life? 
What is it that God rewards us? He rewards us with his forgiveness, with his presence, with his provision and his power. We've got to believe that he is the redeemer, that we need to be bought back into his family, that we are headed in the wrong direction and only he can turn us around. We must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We need to believe in who God is and and what he does. And when that really happens in our life, then our faith will not only be real, but it will show. One quick illustration of that. Hezekiah was a man in the Old Testament that really believed in God. He was a life in which God was pleased with. And then his faith, which was the, the source of God's pleasure, then resulted in how he lived. Toward his death, where he knew that he was only going to be on this planet a little longer, he, he turned his face toward the wall and, and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And then Hezekiah wept bitterly. God decided to graciously give him a few more years, but I just want to close with this. What did Hezekiah mark his life with? God, God you know I've given all of my life to you, and what I've done is I've walked with truth, with a loyal heart, and with commitment to doing good. See, our faith is the beginning of who we are with God. And just like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of works that anyone should boast. But then he goes on and says this, For we are God's workmanship. Verse 10, Creating Christ Jesus to do good works with God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He saves us by, by us trusting in him, and then he says, Now live it out in a way that pleases him. Choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the direction that men are going in, that which only brings death? Or will you take the journey which God says, follow me and I will give you life? Let's pray. Father, as we go through, often people ask us, uh, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news? The bad news in the scripture is that if we don't fall after you, we will, we will follow our own path, and that path will only lead to separation from you forever. But the good news is, is that we can experience life not only now, but forever with you. If we submit our confidence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we participate in worship and experience remembrance by communion, might we choose to trust you fully, to live a life marked by truth with a loyal heart and a commitment to doing that which is good in your sight. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.